Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. On October the 31st, 1517, a young German priest named Martin Luther nailed a document to the door of a church in Wittenberg, Germany. This act of protest began what we now call the Protestant Reformation, the very beginning of the evangelical movement. Martin Luther would become the most quoted, one of the most quoted scholars in Christian history, apart from, obviously, Jesus himself and the Apostle Paul. Luther made the following enlightening statement, and I want this to really burn in us. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent, he called for the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. With no qualification or explanation, Luther, I believe, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was calling the church to repent. The amazing thing about Luther's statement is that it recognizes, listen closely, repentance is not simply a one-time action but as that which is to encompass the entirety of the believer's life. Repentance takes place not only when a sinner is converted to Christ, but every day of a believer's life in Christ. That is what the Lord's Prayer teaches us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The title of this series that we start this weekend is Repentance. Listen. God's gift to his children. Repentance is defined biblically. The the word that is used in the New Testament, the original language, is the word metanoia. It's used all throughout the Bible. It's a summons to a personal, absolute, ultimate, unconditional surrender to God as sovereign over our lives. It's not a partial surrender. It is not a, what, let's see what you can do for me. It is a total surrender of our heart. Though it includes sorrow and regret, it is much more than that. In repenting, one makes a complete change of direction. That's the word metanoia means to turn around and go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. To change the way one sees and one thinks obviously about sin and the old life. Now, I have been particularly motivated to teach this series, especially because of what I have noticed over these recent years. In my 35 years as a Christian, I have watched others, myself included, try to deal with ungodly mindsets, reoccurring sin, without much success because there was always a missing element in people's lives. And that missing element is repentance. There can be no change. I'm not talking about man-centered self-hatred. I'm not talking about self-punishment or public humiliation that religion has made repentance out to be. I'm talking about the gift that God has provided to his children in order to experience true freedom and true transformation. We're all looking for transformation. We're all looking for true freedom. And so we think 
that if we just quote the scripture, it's going to happen. And that doesn't happen any more than waving a magic wand changes an individual. If there is no desire in the heart for change, you and I can quote scriptures over and over and over again. They are not a magical incantation. They can only reflect what's already in your heart. Christian author John Piper, many of you are familiar with him. You've probably read many of his books. This is what he has to say. First and foremost, repentance is a gift. It is an act of the Holy Spirit's work in us, resulting in an act that flows out of us, which is change, transformation. Although it is our act, it does not originate within us. In fact, in our naturally stubborn, rebellious hearts, the whole notion of repentance is foreign. Just as righteousness from God is foreign or alien, so is our repentance. It is granted to us by God himself. We would not even conceive of such a thing left to ourselves. We would just want to keep excusing, justifying our sin, making allowances for it, enabling one another, patting each other on the back, but that doesn't bring change. He goes on to say, we would point our depraved fingers at everyone else around, but by his grace, God grants, listen, God grants repentance to his adopted children who he patiently disciplines. Now, even though we've already had our sins forgiven, we understand that. We are called upon by Christ to continue in our repentance so that we might become holy and blameless before him. Okay? It's going to get better. Smile. Turn to somebody. Smile. Go ahead. Go ahead. Smile. Say, it's going to get better. Got to lay the foundation first because it's not what you think. I'm going to quote from a a writer named Thomas Watson. He was a Puritan. He lived back in the 1600s. This is what he wrote about this subject. Repentance is a grace of God's spirit whereby a sinner is inwardly humbled and visibly reformed. Those are unfortunately two things that are horribly missing in the Christian church today. Humility and reformation. We want the grace of God to save us, but we want to continue walking in the things, and some of those things were that, those things which Jesus had to go on the cross to die for. And it's time to start drawing the line, and it's time to start opening our hearts and allow God to transform us. Repentance is not a one-time thing, but it is vital to a mind being renewed. Listen to what I'm saying. We want our minds renewed. We know how to quote the scriptures about renewing our mind. But if we don't have the desire for that renewal, if we don't, if our heart condition is not matching the desperation for transformation, then all we do is just quote scriptures. Just like a person constantly quoting John 3, 16, but never coming to the place of saying, Jesus, I believe in you, come into my heart. John 3, 16 cannot save you. The heart that reaches out to God based on John 3, 16 can save you. Are you catching this? I hope you are. 
I'm going to say it again. It's not a one-time thing, but it's vital to a mind being renewed. And you're going to find out. I'm going to throw this out at you, but you're going to find out more as we get into this series. We are to- you cannot renew your mind without repenting to- of that which you previously have been thinking about. Repentance means to turn around and go in a different direction. Renewing of the mind requires turning around and going in a different direction. But if you think you're justified in what you've been thinking, then how is your mind going to get renewed? We need to to be transformed on this earth, and it's an ongoing process, that we may be presented without spot or blemish at the coming of the Lord. And I'm telling you, I know what I know on the inside. I know what I'm sensing from the Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, this is the message. Why? It's time to prepare. He's coming. And I believe with all my heart that if we honestly knew the date, I'm so glad he doesn't tell us, because we would be scared, spitless. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly but the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. So let's stop there. Let me explain some things. When this was written, the temple in Jerusalem was still in operation. I believe the apostle Paul wrote this. You can have your opinion. That's fine. When we get to heaven, you'll find out I was right. And why do I say that? Because it's Paul's language. This is Paul's heart for the Jewish people. Obviously, the book is written to Hebrews. Come on, it's right there. Hebrews. People who understood the sacrificial system. People who understood that just because a priest goes and kills an animal, it doesn't mean that his heart has changed. And every priest stands ministering daily. It was a present reality when this letter was written. And offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Look at verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are, what? Say it loud. Being sanctified. I'm so proud of you. Nice and loud. Being being sanctified. So what is this telling us here? This is the mystery of salvation. That upon receiving salvation, upon making the declaration that Jesus Christ is your Lord, that you believe that he is the Son of God, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you are in the eyes of God. He sees you as perfect. However, we're living on this side of the lens. And therefore, from that moment until the moment that we step into eternity, we are in the process of being sanctified. The process. Turn to somebody, say process. It's a process. Go ahead, turn to somebody else. Say, it's a battle. But he gives us the tools. So the key word there is being sanctified. We are declared forgiven. We are declared righteous by God. Been perfected in God's sight. But we are in a constant state of renewal and transformation. Which can only happen 
as we repent. What, what do we mean now? Well, when I first got born again, I knew, I had the reality on the inside that something changed. I knew my spirit came alive. I was, life just looked different from one day to the next within 24 hours. It was almost like when you watched the beginning of The Wizard of Oz. You remember it? Everything is black and white. How many know what I'm talking about? And then all of a sudden, what happens? That's what it was like. But I started to realize I didn't know everything pertaining to God's will. I didn't know. I knew there was a change on the inside. So, so I could say, yeah, I felt perfected. I felt like, like he had taken me and put me in a different realm. But I still have a soul to work with. I still got a soul that even throughout these 35 years still tries to steer me in the wrong direction. Pray for me. I know you're perfect. Pray for me. Are you hearing me? And thank God for that process. Listen, thank God. Oh my God, I thank him that for 35 years, he, I didn't just get born again. He went, okay, I'll leave you the way you are until you get here. I thank God he did the same thing for you. None of us would want to be around each other. But we're still not there yet. Yes or no? We're still not there yet. We're in a constant state of renewal and transformation. Without repentance, there is no change, no growth, and no peace. Why? Because repentance means you are willing to let God change the way you see things. You are willing to let God change your desire, change your appetites, change the things you crave, change the direction that you're going in. You're willing to. How else are you going to change if you don't have that willingness? And that's why it's a gift from God. It's a gift. Could you imagine if he didn't grant this gift to us? We would be miserable because our spirit is in one, in one realm and the rest of our being would be stuck on this earth subject to all the sin, all the degradation, all the filth, all the garbage of this planet. Thank God. Repentance is the process of coming to a realization that something we are thinking, saying, or doing is not honoring God and is bringing damage to ourselves and to others. Man, it's, to set in motion, it's set into motion by recognizing and admitting to God the need for change. It is literally letting God change the way you see sin. Letting God change ungodly conduct. Wrong beliefs. There's so many people that still, even though they get born again, they still carry wrong beliefs from their belief system that they usually crafted themselves before they came to Christ. And so you hear a born-again person, a person who's got the Holy Spirit living inside them, say stuff like, well, I know the Bible says, but I see it this way. And I hate to be rude, and I know it sounds that way sometimes. I don't give a hill of beans what you, how you see it. I want to know what the Word of God says. And each one of us need to know what the Word of God says. And so then when you read the Word of God and you start to realize, well, wait a second, God says... This is how I should be thinking. This is how I should be speaking. This is how I should be conducting myself. But I've been conducting myself in a way that's contrary to this. What, what are you going to have to do? Repent. Now, repentance, if you come out of the same kind of background I came from, repentance to you is that you're going to go sit in a closet with a guy on the other side of the screen 
and you're going to tell them everything that you did, and you're going to probably make some juicy stuff up because you, you're going to deflect. You don't want to tell them what you really did. You want to tell them these other things. You know what I'm talking about. And so then you, the, the dreaded sentence would come. Go say 50 Hail Marys and 175 Our Fathers and go light 20 candles. You know what I mean? Or in some religions, it's worse than that. Self-mutilation, self-deprivation. Like as if that you punishing your body and you starving yourself is going to get you a better place with God. And you end up being worse shape than you were in before. It doesn't work. What works is this, a heart that begins to see God's will and starts to say, I want to be the way you want me to be. I don't want to continue to be the way I have been. That's how change comes. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 13, I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Classic Version. Not in your own strength, for it is God who is all the while effectually at work in you, energizing and creating in you. Watch this now. He's energizing and creating in us the power and desire both to will and to work for his good pleasure and satisfaction and delight. When we are willing to repent, when we are willing to say, God, I, I, I guess I got this wrong, I, I, this, this conduct, this way of thinking, the way I'm speaking, the way I'm treating people, the way I'm talking about people, the whatever, you fill in the blanks for your own life, is not working. I don't want to be like this anymore. Thank you for that one amen. That's the heart that all of a sudden the word of God begins to explode. You got to understand something. God is a good steward. He's a good manager. He does not waste at all. And so until you get to that place where your heart desires, like it says here, that he creates in us the power and the desire for what? For change. Until you, if you keep resisting that, if you keep digging your heels in and say, no, this is where I am. You know, I got a temper. You know, my father had a temper. My grandfather had a temper. This is just what, then you will not receive the revelation into the word that you need to change. Why? He's a good steward. He's not going to waste it on you. It's not going to waste it. Psalm 138, verse 8. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. In other words, even though, even, though, even though, Father, I've been resisting you, even though I've been continuing in that conduct, even though I've been continuing to entertain that mindset, even though I've continued to flip out, get angry, even though I continue this, that, you fill in on the blanks, continue this stuff, but God, please don't forsake the works of your hands. Don't give up on me. That's what the psalmist is saying. Don't give up on me. Don't abandon me. Keep working with me. Amen. God in his mercy provides the grace we need to change. But it all starts when we change our mind, our perspective, our stance on the things that keep us stuck. I, I don't know about you. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. I don't know about you. I am tired. I am, I am so tired. 
I don't even know what adjective to use. I'm just, just, just so tired of seeing Christians, good, born-again people that are stuck, stuck, being haunted by the conduct of the past, being dragged back. It damages us. We damage ourselves. We damage the people around us. We damage our ability to reach out to others and bring them into the family of God. Why? Because it, does, it, it undermines your boldness. How are you going to go tell somebody about Jesus when you, and, you're, and you know inside, you're still stuck in an area? You're still thinking the way you used to. You're still talking the way you used to. You're still conducting yourself. Not in everywhere. Not in everywhere. But there's those one or two or three different points, those three different areas of life where it's like I can't break out of this. And that's where repentance comes, the willingness. And let me tell you what one of the number one things that, that stops us from repentance, and I'm getting ahead of myself. This is probably not till next week, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. The victim mentality. When a person has convinced themselves that it's the world against them, it's your family against you, it's your spouse against you, it's all these other things, when you convince yourself that you're the way you are because of things that were done to you, you will not look to change because you feel justified in your conduct. I'll never forget one time, was, was counseling someone who was, who was physical with their wife. And had the audacity and nerve to say, well, she made me hit her. I was like, I don't need that much encouragement. It's her fault. She gets me to that place. What is that? That's a person who's trying to justify their sin instead of falling down before God and say, change my heart. I'm, I'm tired of this. God in his mercy provides that grace for us to change. I got to move quick. Luke chapter 15 is an amazing chapter in the Gospels. It begins with the religious leaders complaining and criticizing Jesus for associating with sinful people. Imagine that. Jesus responds with three separate instances of lost and found. Luke 15, verse 3. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends, his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who... Over one sinner who that over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What is the subject of Luke 15? Repentance. Verse 8. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she had found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God when one, when over one sinner who repents. Now, let me just, let me just, because in our Western mindset, we don't understand what he just said. 
She wasn't talking about a penny or a dime that she had wrapped up in a handkerchief or in a little coin purse. She's talking about the equivalent of an engagement ring. A married woman carried her symbol of being married in a chain with gold coins that she would wear over her forehead when she would go out to a special occasion. And one of those coins got loose. And you know how crazy you ladies get when your ring goes down the drain? You start pulling the pipes out and everything else? That's exactly what she's talking about. She tore the house apart to go find that gold coin. Why? Because it meant so much to her. Jesus is saying that's the same attitude that the angels in heaven have when somebody repents. You listening? Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Again, remember, he is addressing the criticism of the religious leaders that he hangs around with sinners, people who needed to change the way they saw their sin, people who needed to change the way they thought, the way they spoke, the way they conducted themselves, just like you and me. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger then said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his... Say it again. Why am I making... I make a big deal out of this every time I teach this parable. Why? Because most of the church world has got this completely wrong. Some translations even say inheritance. He did not ask for inheritance. He asked for his share in the family business. What is a livelihood? A livelihood is what you live off of. So here's a father, two sons are in the family business. The younger son says, I want to go on my own. I want to go start my own business. And so the father gives him his share of the business. Because most people preach this as the the son was so disrespectful, he wanted the father's inheritance before he died. That's not what it says. He wanted his share. He wanted to go out on his own. I would imagine it was even some pride and and some, 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 some just like, wow, this is awesome. My son wants to go on his own and start his own thing. What happens? And so he divided it. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, everything he had, his share, and journeyed to a far country. And there wasted his possessions with the prodigal living, wasteful living. But when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in that land. He began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. So we know he went far away from home. Why? Because in Israel, there's no pig farms, obviously. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. They didn't even offer him anything. So what's happening here? The mindset he has entertained has gotten him into real trouble. His plan failed. He's, got, he's lost everything in wasteful living. Not a good manager of his funds, or maybe he allowed himself to be taken advantage of. We don't know what the situation is. All we know is this. He lost, he, he lost the part of the business. His previous view of his world had come crashing down around him. He has a choice. He can stubbornly dig in his heels and continue to wreak destruction, or he can change his mind about what he had previously placed no value upon. Is it true? He did not place the value upon his 
being in business with the family. For whatever mindset came in, whatever it took, it doesn't matter. But he's realizing this way of thinking has gotten me into starvation. Verse 17, here it is. What are these, what are these three stories about? Repentance. But when he what? Came to himself. He said, now let's go through the mechanics again, because we're talking about repentance. And this young man would have experienced no change until he started thinking differently. Because I guarantee you, he left the father's house thinking, I'm going to make it big. I'm going to take this, and I'm going I'm to invest this, and I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to have employees, and I'm going to have big houses, and I'm going to have beautiful chariots, and all this other stuff. And his way of thinking got him in trouble. So what happens by verse 17? Thank God. He starts to become open-minded. But when he came to himself, he said. Now, here's the thought. Where did it start? It started in the thought process. He started thinking about it. And then after he thought about it and he agreed in his heart, then he began to say, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to, and to spare? And I perish with hunger. Verse 18, his conduct changes now based on what he was thinking and based on what he was, come on, come on, come on, based on what he was saying. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He repented. He changed his mind about his previous lifestyle. That change of mind brought about a change of direction. When we change our thinking, we change our speech, we change our conduct. When we start to be honest enough to say, no, I'm a Christian, I've been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Uh, he suffered and died on the cross for me. I am not going to continue that conduct. Amen. What happens? We, we start changing the way we think, we start changing the way we talk, we start changing direction. And sometimes that means, changing direction means, you don't hang out where you used to hang out. You don't hang out with the people you used to hang out with. You don't watch what you used to watch. You don't say the things you used to say. You don't drink the stuff you were drinking. You don't smoke the stuff you were smoking. Amen. That too real? So he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, just follow me, please. Don't disconnect right now. Follow me, because so many people miss the richness and the depth that's here. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. So he allowed, he allowed what he knew of God to start to change him. He said, I've sinned against heaven. First acknowledgement, the first, first area of repentance, he started to remember what he really knew about God and how he had gone against everything he knew about God. I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. His repentance caused him to come to a realization, my way is not working. And this opens the door for the Holy Spirit to show us another way. The mercy of God is powerful. It's not condemning but it's effectual towards those who will admit their wrongdoings. Can I say it again? Maybe add a little different word and just hold on to your seat, okay? 
it's effectual towards those who will admit their sin. Verse 22, watch this now. Picture this whole scenario here. The father's been waiting for him. He comes, he makes this, this, this passionate confession, which he's been saying all the way home. By the time he gets to the father, he may have said this thing 20 times, rehearsing, repeating. And he makes the confession. He says it, but watch this. He's not saying it for the father's sake. He's saying it for his sake. Why? How do we know? Because the father doesn't even acknowledge what the son says. Verse 22, but the father said to his servants, not even paying attention. he's not even paying attention to what he's saying. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He changed. He changed. It didn't matter what he said in front of his father. Without the heart change, none of it would have mattered. His heart changed on the way there. The father doesn't even relate to the son according to the son's confession. Once the confession was made, it's all swept away. The father now only deals with the son based on the young man's new perspective on life. His change of mind, his admitting of wrongdoings, that's what brought him restoration. He was always the son, but now the father can restore that which the son forfeited while he was in disobedience. And there's so many of us that are living in that pig pen. Oh, you're going to go to heaven. But maybe you're forfeiting what you should be experiencing here on the earth. And nobody's holding it back but you. God's not punishing you. In fact, he continuously deals with your heart to draw you so that you'll come to yourself like that young man did. That you'll be bold enough and courageous enough and honest enough and transparent enough. Say, I can't live like this anymore. First John 1, 5. This is a message we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Look at this. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What does that mean, Pastor? I thought that's for a person that's not born again yet. No, no. And I'll tell you why. The person that's not born again does not have any righteousness to lose. This says that he's going to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In other words, the things that a person does that is unrighteous, when a person who is righteous does them, 
needs to be cleansed from those results. And that requires confession. Let me ask you this question. That young man that left the farm, did he cease being his son? No. But he wasn't eating the best. He wasn't wearing the robe. He left his ring that signified who he was on his dresser in his bedroom. He left his sandals in the closet. He thought he knew better. And when he comes back, the first thing the father does is not to say, I told you this wasn't going to work. What's the first thing he does? Go get his robe. Go get his ring. Go get his sandals. He's back. We say it this way. He's back in his right mind again. So what do we do? How do we respond to a message like this? Number one, inventory. Inventory. Let's purpose to take stock of our lives. Are there areas that are not presently under the control of the Holy Spirit? Number two, acknowledge that area of disobedience to God with humility and transparency. Don't try to justify. Don't try to make excuses. And it may require confession to another person that you can trust. Number three, be intentional about finding out out what God's will is for that area of your life. There is power in the promise. And let me give you a hint here. Most of those areas are gonna involve these topics. Relationships, sex, money. These are the common hotspots. These are the common areas where most of us are gonna slip up. Number four, ask for forgiveness and cleansing. Receive it and then forgive yourself. That's key. Forgive yourself. Don't keep beating yourself up. Don't keep doing it. Don't think the more you beat yourself up, the more God's going to say, oh, I feel so bad for him. No, no, don't beat yourself up. Acknowledge it. Ask for forgiveness. Ask for cleansing. And we're not asking forgiveness like we did when we got born again. We're asking for forgiveness so we can kick in the cleansing. Because it says not only will he forgive us, but he'll cleanse us from all the junk that you picked up while you were acting like an unrighteous person. Are you catching this? We've already been forgiven. But some may be dealing with the results of life in the pig pen. The father's not angry. He's been waiting for you to come to yourself and be restored to the father's house. He's got your robe ready. He's got your ring ready. He's got your sandals ready. Turn your back on that sin. Open up your heart to the Holy Spirit and come and be restored. Now, for the sake of those who are going to be watching this in Babel, for the sake of those who will be watching this even in Brick, your campus pastors will be giving you instruction on how to respond to this message. I pray that you will open up your heart. I pray that you will allow yourself to become vulnerable and become transparent. I pray that the Lord would continue to bless you, that the Lord would keep you, that the Lord will turn his face towards you and give you peace and wholeness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. 
If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.